Why didn't you tell me? You told me Vader betrayed and murdered my father. Your father was seduced by the dark side of the Force. He ceased to be Anakin Skywalker and became Darth Vader. When that happened, the good man who was your father was destroyed. So what I told you was true, from a certain point of view. A certain point of view? Hello, and welcome to episode 30 of Force Time. My name is Travis, and today I have a special guest with me, Sarah Glassberg. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting. So excited to. Today, Sarah and I are kicking off a new five-part series where I'll be welcoming guests to the show to, to discuss eight stories in From a Certain Point of View, The Empire Strikes Back. For those of you unfamiliar with this book, it is a collection of short stories told from different characters' point of views throughout Empire, including the Wampa, the Emperor, and even the cave on Dagobah. The first From a Certain Point of View book was released a couple years ago, celebrating the 40th anniversary of A New Hope, and so it was so cool that we got another one this year celebrating Empire's 40th. Another great thing about this book is that all proceeds from the sales go to First Book, which is a leading nonprofit that provides new books, learning materials, and other essentials to educators and children in need. So that's a nice little touch on this anthology of stories. But before we dig into the book, today's guest, Sarah, is one of the hosts of the Atlanta Jewish Film Festival's In Conversation podcast, as well as a big-time Star Wars fan and Star Wars fashion icon. And I would first like to kick this off by asking, Sarah, what is your Star Wars story? Wow. Well, first of all, I still think it's crazy that anyone would call me a Star Wars fashion icon <laughs> or any or anything of that sort. Um, it took me a long time to feel like I could actually be creative and create fun Star Wars outfits that other people liked uh i always felt a little self-conscious because i don't really do anything much with my hair or do makeup i'm very low maintenance but um but it's been a really nice outlet just the fashion piece of star wars so thank you for that um so my star wars story and i'm always really relieved to hear other people with similar star wars stories to mine um i am of the prequel generation i grew up really loving the prequels before the majority of society kind of told me not to love the prequels because they are terrible. Um, they're not terrible. I've grown to re-love them again more recently. Um, I saw the original trilogy a couple years later, loved that, but I really went through most of my teenage years and even my early 20s just being like a very casual Star Wars fan. And then The Force Awakens was my awakening and over the past five years i've just increasingly gotten more into fandom um and that also coincided with going to a lot more conventions and meeting other fans and um gradually watching some of the tv shows and reading some of the books and that was something that i hadn't done before even when force awakens came out i was like well i'm a star wars movie fan again um and film really is my wheelhouse but again, just over the last five years, that has really expanded and increased um, pretty exponentially. So people that knew me in childhood or in high school or in college now are like, 
you were not this obsessed with Star Wars when I first met you. Like, when did this happen? And so that's when it happened. Um, And the rest is history. And now, yeah, I'm I'm hugely obsessed. (laughs) That is very similar to my story. I was also a prequel kid and I, I did grow up with the original trilogy, but yeah, I was love the prequels. And today, so I'm just, I'll just say it today is Thursday, December 10th. We're recording this. This episode isn't going to release till next week, but literally hours ago, we just got all of this news about the Disney investor call where we are getting all these new series. We're getting Hayden Christensen back in Star Wars. We're getting new movies, new TV shows, everything. And so we're going to do our best to to focus on from a certain point of view, The Empire Strikes Back. But was there any one thing tonight from the announcements that really stuck out to you? Oh, boy. Oh, I everything is so exciting. Yeah. I just getting a sizzle reel about the Cassie and Andor show. I'm a huge Rogue One fanatic. Um, so I've been excited about that. The Hayden Christensen news um, for the Obi-Wan series is very exciting. But I think the the big piece of completely new news that really blew me away is that Patty Jenkins is going to be directing the first female directed Star Wars movie ever. Um, and I just am so, so excited for that. I can't even express how excited that made me. And it was such a cool teaser that she put out on her own about like her story and wanting to do a film about pilots and and airplanes and stuff like that. And and she finally found this story that she wanted to tell and is able to do it. Oh, it just looks so cool. I don't know. It's, it's all, it's all so much <laughs> to absorb everything, but oh my gosh. Yeah. That, that Patty Jenkins movie is going to be great. Yeah. It was pretty overwhelming and it just kept coming. I was scrolling various social media feeds and it just it was like, <laughs> it was an avalanche. It did not. It was it was kind of like last week's The Mandalorian when the stormtroopers kept showing up and just kept Mm -hmm. showing up and showing up is like relentless, like one after another news upon news. And I actually just watched the bad because they released the Bad Batch trailer for the animated show. And I watched that again because the first time I watched it, I couldn't even concentrate on literally anything. So, yeah, it's. It's a lot, but luckily Rogue Squadron, Patty Jenkins movie actually ties in with one of these stories. So that was really cool. Just like really good timing as well for for this episode. So I'm going to go ahead and just tell the people how this is going to work. So we're going to start right from the beginning of this book and we're going to discuss the first eight stories. Uh, We'll introduce the story and each author give our overall reactions and our favorite line or paragraph. And then we'll discuss on a one to 10 scale, how differently we might view empire after knowing about these side characters and creatures. And I do want to know that this rating scale really doesn't have anything to do with like how good the story is. I don't think it's more of just a fun way to look at it. Cause I don't, the point of these stories isn't to change how you look at the movie, but I just thought that would be kind of a fun rating scale to, to get into. So with that said, are you ready to get started? I am. Let's do it. So what I told you was true from a certain point of view. So our first story is Eyes of the Empire by Kirsten White. And this is Kirsten's first time writing in the Star Wars universe. She is a New York Times bestselling author of fantasy and sci-fi young adult and children's books, including the Paranormal Sea Trilogy and the ongoing Camelot Trilogy and Slayer series, which is set in the world of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. 
So, Eyes of the Empire is a story of Mela, an Empire worker in charge of controlling thousands of probe droids sent across the galaxy searching for the Rebellion. It leads into the opening scene of the Empire Strikes Back, with Mela's probe droids being the ones that find the Rebellion on Hoth. Mela has a change of heart when days later she sees the death and destruction caused by the Empire due to her finding the Rebels. As the mission goes on, another one of her droids finds Luke's X-Wing on Dagobah, but she deletes the footage, not wanting to contribute to any more destruction. So, Sarah, what were your overall reactions to this story? I really liked this story. I think it's always really interesting to see a character have an arc like that in such a short amount of time and have it not feel... Um, in any way inorganic or implausible you know she she thinks she's been this passive observer but she isn't just you know voyeuristically traveling the galaxy with no consequences she's working for this larger system and she realizes that they've been destructive and and you know that they have these devious goals so yeah i think it's a testament to good writing to have that realization and change of heart really really land and feel reasonable in such a short span um in such a short story you know so i really liked it i agree i thought it was the perfect way really to open up the book too because you know it starts right at the beginning of empire with the probe droid but it even goes a little bit before that where we get a little bit of her her backstory and her relationship with her mother and it was just such a star wars story and that it felt a lot like Luke when he you know all he wanted to do was get off that rock and Ray like just yearning to go travel the galaxy and then she gets this job thinking that that's what she's going to do but really it turns out that you know she's really not she's just a tool of the empire and just from when she was a young kid and she it talks about how she holds the probe droid eye in her pocket and just that Star Wars object like really made me think of right now it's really relevant with the Mandalorian with like the little ball, you know, that is the connection between Grogu and the Mandalorian. Uh, but also like the dice between the solos and just she's always holding on to that. And it's always like she's she's holding on to a piece of her mother. So, yeah, I thought it was it, it was really cool that we got a redemption story for the very first because Star Wars, one of the biggest things about Star Wars is just redemption. And you're right that it, we got this within 10 or so pages was just really good. And I thought it was just the perfect way to, to open up the story. What was your favorite line from this story or, or paragraph and, and why? Yeah, um, I picked uh, it's on page 11. I'm reading from my notes, so I hope I didn't mess any of these quotes up or the page numbers. But um, I really loved where um, it says she had flung herself through the stars and she had thought all she was doing was seeing. But an eye was never just an eye. It was connected to a body. She was the eyes of the empire and its hands had done this because of her. And I picked it because, again, I just feel like that really very poetically encapsulated, um, you know, this epiphany that she has that there really is no neutral. And it just, that line really stuck with me in that way. That was the exact line that I had like word for word too. So we're (laughs) we're one for one on great minds think alike, but yeah, it was, it was, it was deep. It was so deep and it really did just the, the line of it was connected to a body. She was the eyes of the empire is just 
it was it was kind of poetic and then the way that it just led in to the end of the story where she does have that change of heart and there's probe droids on Dagobah which is just crazy in itself but that she sees a rebel out there and has that change of heart just just was so great so on a scale of one to ten how will this story make you view empire differently so just making sure that I thought through this correctly, a, a 10 is like, it changes everything. Yes, and a one, yes. Okay. Yeah. So for this, I would say a seven. Um, some of my choices of exact number are going to seem a little arbitrary, but but I, I do think it'll change how I see uh, particularly the the scenes that take place on Dagobah for the reasons that you've already kind of articulated. I think... Um, even more than making me see the scenes on Hoth or the opening scene with the probe droid differently, it's going to make me see those other scenes very differently because you just realize like there are these side characters that in the films you never even necessarily see. I mean, some of these characters are like literally seeing through a droid's eyes and you don't know necessarily that they did have some kind of change of heart and that could have had such a vastly different outcome you know those scenes that we see between luke and and yoda who knows what would have happened if she didn't have that realization you know and that she decided to erase that from the empire's vision i thought that that was so powerful too and so that's the way in which it's going to make me see the movie differently for sure definitely i also gave it a seven and oh wow (laughs) (laughs) yeah so so now we're two for two but yeah, I mean, pretty much for the same reasons, though, because, yeah, you're right, we don't actually see Mela, but it is that probe droid, like, right when it pops up now, you're thinking more a little bit about, about behind the scenes, you know, which I love just this entire book gives us that day-to-day life, and that's that's really what I loved about the first one, too, is just that the ones that are actually doing the work, doing, like, the little jobs that have to get done that we don't see, and the fact that it gives us two moments, it gives us that moment at the beginning with the probe droid, and then, yeah, you're right, on Dagobah, it's like, wow, there's a probe droid on Dagobah, just chilling, watching watching Yoda and Luke do their thing and she just deleted it all. So yeah, I, I a hundred percent agree with, with that assessment. A certain point of view. So the second story we get is hunger by Mark Oshiro. Um, And this is Mark's first time writing in the star Wars universe. He is an award-winning author of anger is a gift and each of us a desert. And they have a book called insiders coming out in 2021. So this story, Hunger, is told from the perspective of the Wampa who ultimately captures Luke. Um, It actually starts out sometime before that moment from the film when the Wampa first returns to his den from a hunt, only to find that his family is missing and these strange foreign bipedal creatures he has never seen before, um, who of course are the rebels as we know them, uh, have pretty much infiltrated these caves and caverns, leaving him extremely vengeful and even more violent than his nature would suggest uh, by the time he does capture Luke. So the story then also extends slightly beyond when Luke loses his, uh, uses his lightsaber on the Wampa to when the rebels have actually vacated Hoth. And that leads to an ultimate feeling of hope um, that this Wampa will one day find his family again. So, Travis, do we want to start with your overall reactions? Yes, I. This was one of my favorite stories in the in the entire book. I just I thought it was really it started off 
really kind of funny and there was a lot of really good one-liners in there but it was also surprisingly touching too i just i love when monsters are humanized and we got a lot of that in in the first of these books as well and then the wampa all we've ever known is that he's a scary creature that attacks luke and the tauntaun and eats the tauntaun and then luke has to cut his arm off and we don't really know anything else but this gives his entire backstory and the fact that he's got a family and a den mate it just i i love when stories do that it just flips everything you know on its head and i just also really love that we finally find out how he hung Luke up upside down in the cave because it's always been joked about that he licks his licks his boots or breathes on it or whatever that way he hangs him up and it's confirmed in the story that that's exactly how it happened so yeah I I really really enjoyed this one yeah same here um you mentioned some of my favorite aspects of it I I always so I'm a huge horror movie person too and I love when a scary monster ends up being sympathetic in certain ways. And obviously in the span of the Wampa's moments in the film, um, he is really scary and you don't feel a lot of sympathy. You don't really think about it. I don't think. Um, And then this story makes you really think about how this creature um, is experiencing all the events that we know super well. And yeah, you just, for me, it was brand new thinking about, oh, these rebels were not here always. Like they came in and there were species that lived on this ice planet and that was their home. And now, you know, were they uprooted? All of those questions started really flooding through my head when I was reading this. Uh, and uh, yeah, I honestly felt kind of bad for the Wampa. He, we're so used to relating to human or humanoid characters. Um, and so stories like this in books like this really make kind of as you said flip the flip the script quite a bit and force you to think in a very different way and it almost makes you think about like it really made me think about like environmentalism you know yeah they the rebels came in and just destroyed his home without Mm -hmm. you know and and we're, we're used to knowing the rebels as the good ones you know they're on the good side they're the light side they're, they can do nothing wrong but it's like oh but at the same time like humans do all this stuff in their best interests so yeah i really thought about that a lot too yeah same same here what was your favorite line or paragraph and why so another one that was kind of deep and this was actually the very last paragraph of the story and it starts or yeah it says and that cavern within him shrank, replaced by something new, hope. Hope that a reunion was possible with his clan, with his denmate, with his cubs, with what they stole, his home. It's just like, man, I would have never thought a story about a wampa, the wampa, would have me like almost tearing up at the end because it, it talks about this cavern within him that, you know, he, he just becomes even more monstrous and and upset and wants to do all this stuff. And then at the very end, he's just like every other star Wars character where it's that theme of hope. And I just, ah, I loved it so much. Yeah. I, uh, I liked that part too. I, I picked something that comes a little earlier in it when I think he first, um, when he first captures Luke and the Tauntaun. Um, so my quote was, he peered into its face. Did it have a family too, a home? Did it know that it had taken everything from him? What did it think about? Did it hate his kind like he hated its kind? Was that why they had stolen his home? 
this moment was so heart wrenching for the reasons that we kind of already covered. But for this, for just this second, this Wampa does have real questions about, you know, who who are these people and and why are they here? And kind of drives home the idea that the people have not thought through those questions in the same way. And I think that goes back to what you were saying. Like this story really makes you realize that rebels empire sometimes for some living beings, like there are those two sides are not the two sides. It's, it's, you know, human versus not, or just this is, these people are the good guys to us, but they are a threat. And um, I don't know, just seeing that little conversation play out in the Wampa's head was just so, I don't know. It was huge to me. It seemed like there was more empathy from the Wampa than we've ever seen. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) We do get some, you know, like specifically in Star Wars Rebels, you know, with Ezra and, and even, you know, Ahsoka and stuff connecting with animals and stuff like that. But clearly in this in this position the rebels came in and without thinking just set up yeah they see him as just this what is this scary thing it's a threat meanwhile like they are the ones that are a threat um and as you said it just reminded me so much of real kind of animal rights things that we hear about and uh, things like deforestation and all of that so i think for a star wars story to do that is pretty great (laughs) It is, and a short story at that about yeah. a wampa too. Like, like just everything packed in. It was just, it was so good. And I, I loved that the wampa did have that happy ending. You know that we we don't know exactly how the story ended, but he's got that hope. His he didn't die. You know his arms okay, or his arm is not okay, but he he packed it with ice and he's doing okay. He's surviving. So yeah, that was that. interesting too. Just in that when you're watching Empire, I feel like. um and this segues, I guess, into, you know, how this story will make you view it differently. But I just never really questioned one way or the other what happened to the Wampa. You're you're just like, oh, what's going to happen to Luke? Like, you know, what's going to happen to our heroes? But then I was reading this and I was so relieved to know that the Wampa was injured, but not dead. So, you know, it's interesting. I had a real realization myself. Like, I'd never even thought what happened to the Wampa in, in the end of that scene. So... Um, so on a scale of one to 10, how will this story make you view the Empire Strikes Back differently? So I gave this one a nine. I, I rated it much higher than pretty much all the other ones that were, I think this is my highest one that I rated, but just the Wampa is such an iconic monster and it plays such a big part in the beginning of this movie that we all love and not only like star Wars monsters, but just film history monsters, just such an iconic look and everything. And now this kind of makes you view that entire opening, everything on Hoth really a little bit differently. And it's almost the Wampa didn't need redeemed because of this story, but in our eyes, the Wampa has been redeemed. Like he didn't really do anything wrong. Like how can you blame him? Right. He's, he's a family man. He was just trying to, you know, look out for his, his cubs and his, his den mate and everything. And so, yeah, I I was, I was very happy. So I will, every time I watch empire from now, I'm definitely going to be thinking about the Wampas, you know, the, the rebel base being there, being his, his home and him just looking for his, his family. How about you? Yeah, I, uh, I gave it an eight. So I'm just right, right under your ranking, um, or your number. Uh, I, yeah, I just feel, I felt so genuinely bad for the Wampa. Um, and going back to just like 
what I was bringing to the table as a fan of horror, like another good example would be something like, um, like, you know, Frankenstein, the original story of Frankenstein's monster. Um, this thing that's viewed even by audiences as being so terrifying. And now as an audience member going back to Empire Strikes Back, like I'm not really going to be thinking about that scene in the same way. I'm not going to really be thinking, oh, you know, this is just some barbaric creature who's just thirsty for blood. It's like, no, he's, he's justified in his anger. He's confused. He's scared. And yeah, we already pretty much covered all my reasons for loving this one, but um, but those are the ways I'm going to look at it different. Look at you know that scene in the movie differently. Just kind of I don't know, rejoicing a little when Luke uses his lightsaber on him. Like that's an experience I don't think I'm going to have in repeat viewings from here on out. You know? <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. I I couldn't agree more. I it just makes me want. Luke to connect with him now you know it's like oh Luke like if he was more in in tune with the force at that point where he was not thinking about just getting out of there where he could connect with the wampa and have a moment that would be that would be cool but yeah it was uh it was really good so what i told you was true from a certain point of view so our next story is Ion Control, and this is by Emily Skrutsky. This is Emily's first time writing in the Star Wars universe, and she is the author of The Abyss Surrounds Us series, Whole Metal Girls, and Bonds of Brass. And she also has a book called Oaths of Legacy, releasing in May of 2021. So Ion Control is the story of a famous Star Wars background character, Torin Farr, who is in charge of the ion cannons that fire on the Empire as they descend on the Rebels' base on Hoth. This story tells the small day-to-day activities that help the Rebels keep their minds off the atrocities of war, including an ongoing will-they-won't-they bet with Han Solo and Princess Leia. In the end, Torin is able to escape Hoth with fellow Rebels, including her sister, who is Rogue Six, on the ship The Bright Hope. So, Sarah, what were your overall reactions to this story? This one um, probably wasn't my favorite of of this bunch, but not for any real reason other than it didn't really add that much for me to Empire Strikes Back. Um, and that's, I know, jumping ahead. But, you know, I I did think it was very fun to see that there were bets being placed on Leia and Han that I thought was just so clever and made a lot of sense and you know, I, I, it added some humor for sure. And the other thing I really did like about this story was that, um, you know, it's always refreshing to see someone whose faith is kind of tested or confidence is shaken. And, um, you know, I do think that it definitely deepened kind of what you do see in the film as far as um, just the chaos and and gives you a little bit of a clearer inside view of, of some of that. But yeah, so... Um, those were my reactions what about you yeah i i i thought this was a fun story for sure it i i love the the thought of the it being called the solo ledger the bet that they have going mm-hmm. on with han and leia and i love that it comes up in multiple stories and so these first eight stories are basically all on hoth the last one is is after hoth but all these are on hoth and it gives us, it kind of gives us that world building aspect, which is just nice because it just, the day to day, everyday person like you and me being on the rebel base, what would we be doing? You know, we're not Luke Skywalker or Princess Leia. We're just the random person. And I, I love that we get all of that. And people have known Torin Farr's name for 
ever because she's just been one of those background characters that has the smallest role, but Star Wars fans are just crazy and like to <laughs> like to speculate on anything they can. So that was cool. I, I really like just how it shows in the midst of all the chaos, kind of like you said, that everyone is just as human as us and the little stupid things that we have to do sometimes to get through our days, like even people in the biggest battles have, have to do that. So yeah, it was, it was a pretty good story. It was, it was fun. I, I really like uh, the solo ledger. Just, I think that's a really funny concept. So what were, what was your favorite line or paragraph in this one? I really liked the line. Um, all that remained was to give all that remained short and sweet. And I think it was just this beautiful powerful ode to kind of sacrificing anything you have left and giving it your all even if you have doubts or fears um and when you're just at that moment of you know there's no surrender or giving up and you know what has to happen and i thought it was such a a big statement in such a small amount of words which um which is always i think commendable what about you so mine comes right after the empire shows up and this is when, you know, like the first part of the story, it's like playful. They're talking about the solo ledger and then the empire shows up and kind of everything turns and, you know, they have to start getting serious. So it says, but even so there was a moment, a moment she felt grab her by the throat and ask her who she thought she was to make a call like this, to climb out of her sodden frigid cave and spit in the face of fascist oppression. And I thought that was just such a, like that, that line made me want to run through a wall and be like, yes, like, you know, this person is just like us and just doing these little things just to get by. But when she said that and it was like, oh man, I need to, I need to go do something right now. Like I need to, what am I doing with my, you know, like I, I need to go out and, and just like take down some fascists. <laughs> like I'm, I'm yeah. ready to go after that line. So it, and it was kind of one of those lines where in the middle of it, it like kind of jolts you. And it's like, Oh, okay. Like I didn't, I didn't think it was going to be like that. I just thought it was, you know, this like smaller, silly story. And then she comes in with that and it was just like, okay, like I'm, I'm ready to go now. Yeah, I want I want to change my answer. No, I'm, I'm just joking. Yeah. I, I, that line is really good, and and you point out also something that's making me kind of rethink the story. I kind of want to reread it now. Um, it really does have almost like a tonal shift. It just it definitely starts out one way, and you think it's going to be one thing, and then it um it kind of becomes something else. And and I also think, and I should have mentioned in my Star Wars story that. Um, I tend to gatekeep myself a lot. And so <laughs> to me, I was approaching this not really with that context of like, this is a fan favorite, you know, small character that fans have speculated about for a long time. I wasn't really bringing any of that to the table. And so now I'm just going to take that as like an extra layer that I can um, kind of add to the way I read the story if I do go revisit it. So thank you for <laughs> educating me about that because there's still so it's much Star Wars to learn about. <laughs> Oh, trust me, they're they're hundred percent never ending. Yeah, no, it, it, it definitely is. And there's, I'm sure, in every single one of these stories, there is stuff that I know goes way over my head, and I don't even realize it. And I don't even know why I knew Torin Far. Like I, that's something I shouldn't even know. Like why do I know that? You know. But I think it kind of worked against me too because I maybe was expecting more too from her you know and maybe a little bit more of her story so i think maybe that kind of shaped how i looked at it 
as well. But yeah, that line was that line that line got me ready to go. So on a scale of one to ten, how will this story make you view Empire differently? I was gonna give it a two, but I'll bump it to a three after this conversation because um I think there are a lot of nuances that I just didn't catch the first time around and um and I, again I think that's a testament to the writing and and the fact that being a Star Wars fan is this constant evolution and learning and you know connecting with other fans and just um you know I think there's a lot that I can again kind of use as a lens if I do go revisit the story and then if I go revisit Empire Strikes Back it it probably would you know I think it probably would have a greater effect than I was giving it credit for when I was thinking this through before, you know, before our conversation. Um, how about you? I, and I think that's, that's a really good call. And I think that's one of the best things about star Wars too, is when you do revisit things and thing or get something new and the added context it gives you is so just one of the best things. Like when I, when I saw the force awakens, it was kind of the same as you where I was, I was ready. Like I was, I was started reading the articles, getting more into star Wars. I always loved it growing up, but I wasn't really a part of the fandom, but then the last Jedi came out and then I started digging into everything I could. And now every time I read or I see a new star Wars story, especially like a really good one, I always find the last Jedi in it somehow. So yeah, I think that's a really, it's an interesting way to look at it and i think that reading this again even in five years this book like i i keep thinking i need to go back and read the one from a new hope because i haven't read that in a long time and see you know how i look at things differently now so i gave this one a five so it's a little bit lower than i think this is my lowest one but it's it's nice to know a little bit more about torn far just because there has been a somewhat curiosity there for me but it's it's a pretty normal story. I really loved the the solo ledger and the fact that it keeps coming up in almost all of these like rebel base ones where they're it's just a running joke. I just I really want to know how that worked too between the authors. Like that was that was really good. A certain point of view. So next we have a good kiss by C. B. Lee. This is C.B. Lee's first time writing in the Star Wars universe. She is a Lambda Literary Award-nominated writer of YA science fiction and fantasy. Some of her work includes the Sidekick Squad series, Ben 10, and the All Out Anthology. She has also written in the Minecraft world with Minecraft The Shipwreck, which was released in November 2020. So A Good Kiss follows... Chase Wilsor, who desperately craves greater responsibility and purpose on the rebel base, feeling he is nothing more than a kitchen boy. He struggles to feel important and confident and does not feel heroic or like he has any useful skills that would ever help save the day. But in fact, that is exactly what happens. He does essential delivery of calf and food and supplies uh, all throughout the base, utilizing intricate tunnels that he helped create before his clumsiness got him removed from that post. And later, because no one knows those tunnels better, he is able to lead many fellow rebels to safety when Hoth is under attack and being evacuated, including a Tauntaun handler named Jordan, with whom Chase has flirted throughout the story, and who he saves in pretty epic fashion by riding the Tauntaun together along a very dangerous route to get to the leaving ship. And on that ship, Chase bravely makes the first move to kiss Jordan and finds his confidence. What were your overall reactions to this story? 
I love this story. I thought it was it was so good. It was so funny. Just the way it started with him reading a self help book was just so spot on. It just it gave you a look at his character right away, and it really right it right away it reminded me. You know, he he talks about what's he say? He says, "I am confident. I am strong. I am a valuable member of the Rebel Alliance." And it just it reminded me of Stuart Smalley from Saturday Night Live, where he's like, "I'm good enough. I'm strong enough." And gosh darn it, people like me <laughs> like that. It just from the beginning, it was so good, and it he just is is kind of awkward about him, you know, throughout and. He and I guess first we should say too, like this is the character that walks in between Han and Leia in the hallway when they're having their fight, and so it's kind of another. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's like I another. Remembered that. It's oh, like you another, see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, it's in it's it's another weird one. Like, why do we care about that character in Empire? Like, it's just been one of those weird things. And um, another thing that they kind of recreated in The Last Jedi when Poe and Finn are talking, and you know, the person walks right between them, and it's just I don't know that that moment's just always been that weird. Like, it doesn't take you out of it. It just it makes it feel more real that they're having this argument, you know, and he walks between them. So I, I just love that. And again, we get more great stuff about Han and Leia fighting all over the base. And it just, everything that, how everyone views them is, is hilarious to me. So we also get a Sheriff Bay reference in this one. And that is Poe's mom. And she came up, I think it was, she came up with how to heat up the speeders with the ion cannons or something like that. And I just, when they throw a little stuff like in, like that in there, it, it makes me happy too. But yeah, I, I don't know. The, the end scene in this one was very, you could picture it really well. The writing was just really great. And yeah, just from the moment he goes in and he kisses the boy, right. He like gets this big grand thing after everything. It just, I don't know. I, I really love this story. I totally agree. One of my favorites, honestly, uh, this story had so much heart, so much humor. Yeah. I, as you were kind of saying with the last story too, and it was something I, I again, picked up a little bit more in this tale than the last one, but, but still, I think another running theme throughout these um, is definitely this idea that any person on the rebel base could be struggling with their self-confidence and approaching that in different ways, but that they all do in some way make a difference. And you see that even in these short, you know, kind of snapshots um, from their different perspectives while all of this craziness is happening. Um, So I found it very easy to relate to Chase. And I thought, you know, it was just so fun that he had these self-help kind of shenanigans. I think they're called at one point um, by another character. And just these affirmations he tries saying to himself. I I love that this was a character that I was able to relate to really easily in that, you know, short amount of time. And um, I'll just also add, I'm all for, you know, expanded LGBTQ uh, plus representation in Star Wars. We are getting so much more of that in books than anywhere else, which is certainly unfortunate. Um, But, you know, we have Queen's Shadow and Queen's Peril and, and now this short story. And I know some other comic books and things like that are dabbling in it. And so, you know, I think we need more of it, but I'll definitely take it. And I thought this story was a really great, you know, a great example of that. Yeah. hundred percent agree. And yeah, it's, it's moving slowly, but yeah, you, you said it, you said it well, it was nice to, to see that, especially like 
so early in this book too. Another favorite part of mine was how he ended up getting them out of trouble, right? And they're running and they're writing this Tauntaun. I think that is the Tauntaun's name Sunshine, I think, which is just really, or is that in a different, I, that might be a different one. Um, no, I think, it, I think it was in this one. I, th- I think it sounds, it sounds right. Yeah. They have so many, there's so many Tauntauns in um, yeah. <laughs> one of the next stories we're talking about, but I think it's Sunshine and he, he's like having this heroic moment and then they're trapped and he has to get them out of it. And he knows because he's done it so many times how to malfunction a blaster. So it like yeah. explodes because he knows. So like him being not great at actual like rebel, like shooting stuff, like actually came in handy and made them escape through that. And it was just, it was good. But yeah, that was, that was a great story. I, it's probably one that I'll revisit a lot because there's just so many, so many great one-liners and just a good, good arc all the way around. Definitely. What was um, your favorite line or paragraph? This story had so many great one-liners. It made it really hard to pick. But if I had to pick one, it'd be that moment right when he, right as he's walking through Leia and Han in that hallway and what goes through his head. So he says, Captain Solo leans closer and every centimeter of his handsome face annoys Chase to no end. And it's just it's that look that Han Solo has, you know, throughout where he's just got that smug look on his face where it's like, ah, this guy, like, I don't, you know, and, and that's another thing that comes up in a lot of these stories is how like people aren't so sure about Han. And like, it's just, I, I don't know. I, it made me laugh and it especially made me think of that exact moment right before that when he puts his arm around leia and he has that line of like yeah the princess told me her true feelings or whatever and he's just got that that face you just like <laughs> you're like god this so guy marmy and like just yeah. too much swagger <laughs> yes exactly i just love it you know he says his handsome face annoys chase to know it it's just that's yeah. so good to me what, what about you yeah that one is pretty perfect um I I went with something that pretty much speaks for itself and and it's I think in again one of the earlier stories you had mentioned um you know we can all be Luke Skywalker and and again that is something that comes up in a lot of these I really liked the line though someone says to to Chase of not all of us are cut out to be pilots doesn't mean we aren't valuable and I think what you brought up too about his ability to really use his clumsiness to his advantage here and you know to be able to use the skills he does have and comes to realize that they are valuable. I I just, that line really stuck out to me. And again, I think it's something that's just so relatable to, to real life. It's one of those great little star Wars lessons that you can take with you. That is a really good line. And just, I don't know. I just can't get the image out of my head of him riding the Tauntaun with this guy that he's been after and just that anybody can be a hero thing. And he led him through the halls because he's been through it so many times. Just, ah, just so good. Such a good story. Yeah, it really is. And on a scale of one to 10, how will this story make you view Empire Strikes Back differently? This one, I'm going to give a seven. So I love, love, love that we get his story. This, this guy that, cuts off Han and Leia, like goes right through them in the middle of all this chaos. I, I just love that we get that. So I'll, I will always, every time I see him, I'm going to think of him riding that Tauntaun and, and kissing Jordan and like having this whole, this whole moment. I just, I love that we have this love story within 
a love story. We we know Han and Leia's story, and it truly like that's kind of meta, even like because he's going in between them. But it is a small love story in between it. So yeah, I I give it a seven because I think I think I will I will remember this one. What about you? Yeah, I originally um thought I was going to give it a six, but if it's okay again to change my mind in the moment because I feel incredibly silly that I didn't realize that this was the character that walks right through them. And and while I was reading it, I did, for some reason, I just, I don't know, that part went over my head. Um, but knowing that I am going to bump it up to a seven as well, kind of copy you, I, I don't know that I'll be able to watch that moment uh, in the same way ever again, <laughs> especially with the line that you pulled out too. Um, yeah, so... A seven, I think. <laughs> I love it. Love it. So what I told you was true from a certain point of view. So our next story is She Will Keep Them Warm by Delilah S. Dawson. And Delilah has written quite a bit in the Star Wars universe. She actually has a couple of my favorite books. Uh, she is a New York Times bestselling author. And she wrote Phasma, Galaxy's Edge, Black Spire, and the Skywalker Saga, as well as writing some Star Wars adventures, comics, and other short stories, including The Secrets of Long Snoot in the first From a Certain Point of View book. So in this story... It is from the point of view of one of the Tauntauns on Hoth named Mira. Mira is a Tauntaun Han Solo is riding in the opening of Empire, and her daughter Reba is the Tauntaun Luke is riding. So we learn about what life looks like on the Rebel base for Tauntauns, and we find out that she has a special connection with Leia, and the end of the story is kind of sad because we know what happens to them, but it leaves us with a little little bit of hope it's a pretty sad story though but sarah what was what were your reactions to this one i loved this one um delilah s dawson's one of my favorite star wars writers i love phasma i loved her story in um that you mentioned from a new hopes uh from a certain point of view and for a lot of the same reasons as i loved the wampa story i really really connected with this one i just love seeing you know, the way these animals have been kind of controlled by these people. And again, we're so used to the rebels being the good guys, but I think a lot of us don't watch Star Wars through that lens of, you know, like in the same way that we ride horses or do any of that. You know, you see that here from the perspective of this animal that's been um, sort of domesticated, but not really. And, and, you know, her kind of, the, the rituals and the rhythms and the relationships between all the tauntauns is super, super interesting. But then it cuts back to the way that they're sort of forced to interact with characters like Leia. Um, so yeah, it's really eye opening and really, really moving in a way. So this was definitely one of my favorites so far. Yeah, it was, it was a good look at that animal human relationship that, that we've somewhat seen, you know, and I'll keep going back to Rebels, but even like The Last Jedi, right? With the Fathers. And I thought of the with, Fathers too. Yeah. yeah it, and just the way that they could smell human emotion and that they could connect on that level. And the one character that it seemed like could kind of connect back was Leia, which I thought was really, really poetic. And although we know how their story ends, like. <laughs> with them at least 
the rebellion did go on and Luke and Han were saved and, you know, and everything like that. But yeah, super sad. It, um, it was really well written though. I really liked Delilah Dawson. Phasma is definitely one of my favorites too, but just the way she wrote with the, when one of the scenes where she was, they were playing out in the snow where they were just like free. It was just, it was really, really well done. What was your favorite line or paragraph from this one? I, uh, loved Leia's line where she says she was here before us and she'll be here long after us for some reason I trust her um, as you said I just think Leia being kind of the only person who seems to halfway understand the, this Tauntaun or at least share some kind of bond with her instead of just seeing her as you know a tool for you know for the rebels to use and just kind of having this bond as women almost I, like that's how I you know even though at this point Leia isn't a mother yet there's this kind of kinship that they have that that line really you know struck a chord with me in that way I could almost I was sort of thinking about future Leia and you know her maternal side and the way that she's so maternal with Mura and the way the Mura's kind of maternal instincts are really really represented in this story um from the kind of animal tauntaun side, but yeah, just their connection um, and the way this line made me kind of really, really feel that um, is why I picked it. How about you? So mine comes at the end of the story and it, it is, it's kind of the same with that connection between Leia and Mira. So this is when right before Mira goes out with Han and Leia, you know, has her moment with Mira and then walks away. So it says, and then the female rebel leaves a scent of hope mixed with worry trailing in her wake. And that whole line is just so Leia. It says a scent of hope first, right? She always, always has that hope, but mixed with worry trailing in her wake. It's like that follows her around her entire life. It's just Sky Talker says Star Wars is tragedy and it's just, it's, it's so sad, but the fact that we've always seen that and can sense that in Leia, but the fact that this Tauntaun is basically telling us because she can smell that emotion and like that's very specific to her. I just, you know, it's the story of Leia's life really and just how, you know, hope always is always there for her. So I thought that was, I thought that was a, a really good line. So how will this change how you view Empire scale of one to ten? I already can't remember what I gave the Wampa story, but I'm giving this a nine, which I think is right in that same ballpark um, for pretty much the same reasons. I, again, huge animal person, feel like we don't, for all of the various creatures and aliens and so forth that we get throughout the galaxy in Star Wars, you know, mainly the movies, I, I really like these opportunities to get inside their heads and um, I also think it's such a challenge probably from the writing side to write from a perspective that isn't human, but still make it feel human enough for us to have that attachment to the the character whose story it is. And so this this story did all that for me. And I know that I'm going to probably be looking at the Tauntauns when I go revisit the movie um, in a similar way as I view the Fathers, because I'm, yeah, the Father, everything about that whole thing in The Last Jedi is one of my favorite parts of that movie. And that is my favorite Star Wars movie, by the way. So, um, so you know, I, I'm glad that you brought up the comparison there. And that's definitely 
that that an attachment to the Tauntauns is pretty much what I'm bringing back to Empire Strikes Back from now on. And I did not really have that before. Um, how about you? Yeah, so I gave this one an eight. So just just below that Wampa story. But yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be hard for me not to, you know, realize that there's a herd of Tauntauns and it's in one of these stories, I don't think it's this one, but General Recon calls it the Tauntaun program. So it's like a whole like they got they probably got like files on this, you know, like a certain way to do everything. So they have the Tauntaun pen and then just when it cuts away to that story of the other Tauntaun challenging her and they have to like butt heads as to who's going to be the leader of this pack. And yeah, just, just how we get again, another creature humanized, I think, think was so good. And Hey, you're in, you're in the right area. Last Jedi is at the top of my list too. And just so I know everyone, no one can see, but Sarah has her directed by Ryan Johnson sweatshirt on right now. And I'm very jealous of that because it's so cool. Shout out to Super Yaki Stuff, who is where I probably have the most of my um, at least independently made Star Wars stuff. Yeah, had to wear my Ryan Johnson sweatshirt today, <laughs> even though we're talking about Empire Strikes Back. Um, this this has turned into a full blown Last Jedi discussion, so we've we've already brought it up a couple yeah. times. So <laughs> you should know that about me. Um, if I ever have the honor of coming back on for anything, a conversation with me will probably devolve into. Either The Last Jedi or Rogue One. It's my top two. But Empire Strikes Back is my number three. So obviously was very excited about this book and this conversation as well. Absolutely. I, I have a hard time not letting my conversations, even just in everyday life, just with my friends, like bringing up The Last Jedi. So I'll talk Same. about it forever. <laughs> <laughs> Same. A certain point of view. So the next story is Heroes of the Rebellion by Amy Ratcliffe. Amy is a regular contributor to StarWars.com and Star Wars Insider and has written three books for Star Wars. Uh, Women of the Galaxy, which is my handbook for life. That book is so amazing. Um, The Jedi Mind, which is on my to-read list. Can't wait for that. And Ellie and Me with her fourth, The Art of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, releasing in April of 2021. Heroes of the Rebellion is the story of Corwi Selgroth. Gotta love these Star Wars names that (laughs) without hearing them, just reading them, I'm probably not pronouncing them the way that they were intended to be pronounced. But she is a rebel propagandist who persuades Mon Mothma to let her go to Hoth in order to chronicle day-to-day life on the rebel base and share the rebellion's story with the galaxy in order to recruit new members to the cause. But what she really wants and tries for throughout her story is a quote from the now widely recognized and revered rebels, Leia, Han, and Luke. She hits roadblocks to talking to them, or at least to getting anything worthwhile out of them, and then Hoth is under attack, and she finds herself relying on an unknown rebel to help her get to a transport off the planet, which leads her to realize that every person in the rebellion really is a hero. Travis, what were your uh, overall reactions to this story? So this was a really unique take and a really unique new character that was created. And I, you know, we've seen it from the empire a couple times as far as recruiting videos, you know, we see it in solo a little bit where it's join the empire and it's, you know, that's when we get the Imperial March in universe, which is, which is really cool. And then we see it in rebels too, where they're kind of recruiting new people to join the empire. But 
this kind of flips flips it again on its head. It's like, okay, well, the rebels surely needed to recruit somehow, so it makes sense that they would have this propagandist, uh, self-described propagandist, join them. And I just, I, I thought it was really relevant right now. A lot of the stuff that she brought up, as far as wanting to to tell their story and somewhat spin it so people would join them, but at the same time, like never tell a lie and, you know, always put out the right information. And, you know, especially right now, like what we're going through with all the disinformation out there and journalists out there trying to do the best that they can. I thought that it was, it was extremely relevant. And the fact that it was brought into star Wars right here was just, you know, it was really interesting to me to see that side of it. And then we get a lot of Jenna Urso love in this one, which which is always a good thing. And then the other thing that really stuck out about this one was at the very end when they're evacuating and she's running through, trying to get out, trying to get to the ships so they can escape, but she's recording the whole time. And like I, the way it was written, I felt like I was there in the base and you know I could see her recording. And it really made me think of the Blair Witch Project, you know, how it's like the shaky camera the whole time. Like, I really want to see that footage that she has of like shaking here and there and like people screaming and like all that stuff. So I thought that was a great touch. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, Yeah, I feel pretty much the same. I have nothing much to add. I, I was just very fascinated to think about the role of propaganda on the rebellion side when we see so much in Star Wars about the Empire's use of propaganda um and the way the story even touches on that was just a nice really interesting different viewpoint and as you said also love the call out to rogue one and jenner so as always as i just mentioned any story in here that had something rogue one jenner so related automatically just you know touched me because love that movie love that character and favorite line or paragraph and why mine is towards the end of the story and it's really, I, I boiled it down to one sentence, but it's really the whole paragraph about Jen Erso and the rebellion, you know, being built on hope and how this character always equated hope with the big time heroes, Luke, Han and Leia. And that's who she really wanted to talk to, you know, but then at the very end, she, she realizes that it's the same, you know, story that we've, we've talked about already that anyone can be a hero, but she said, or it says hope was about people ordinary people that made a choice to join the fight and stay in it. And I thought that especially the last, the stay in it part and talk about this story being relevant to today's times where it's, it's easy to join the fight per se on certain issues, but to stay in it. And, you know, these people that were on this on Hoth, they didn't have to go to Hoth. They weren't being held hostage, you know, but they decided to go, and do this somewhat, you know, these little jobs and hopefully hiding out, you know, they didn't expect to be found by the empire by any means. They thought they were going to be there taking video or delivering calf or whatever. And yeah, the fact that it just, I don't know, it really, that, that whole line just reminded me of the Rose Ticos, the Cassians, the Jens. just, they were in it, but they stayed in it too. So yeah, it was really good. How about you? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I picked another very straightforward one, which, uh, you know, I don't think is a bad thing, but um, I liked the line that said every person in the rebellion was a hero. This re- this realization she has, I think also, again, toward the end of the story for sure. And it's another reminder as we read these stories and then go back to the films that there are just so many people who are fighting this battle beyond our main characters. And we may never know all their stories, but we wouldn't be here 
reading from a certain point of view or talking about a book like this if we didn't think that everyone's story was interesting or, you know, potentially mattered. And I completely agree with you that that's very, very translatable to to real life. Um, and something that you said that I thought was also interesting or that sort of sparked a thought in me is that it's the idea of being in it, being in the fight for the right reasons. When you said staying in the fight, I also thought about like, also, why are you in the fight? And I think that's kind of a an arc that Han Solo goes through. Um, and I think it's an arc that this one character who's just, you know, she sees herself as having an important role and recruiting other people. But I think even her motivations for being on Hoth change a lot in the span of this story where she thinks, well, the thing that's going to recruit new members to the rebellion is um, seeing these three iconic heroes. But for her to learn that every person can be a hero, you know, I just think that that was so impactful. And I definitely agree that it's something that we could definitely take to our everyday lives. And scale of one to 10, how will this story make you view the movie differently? I give this one a four is one of my lower ones not because i didn't like the story but because it is a character that we don't really see and it you know it it, it isn't really any moments that we see so i think visit like actually watching the movie i probably won't think about it too much but this one probably made me think about real life more <laughs> i'll give that like a 10 of 10 on the real life issues i think as far as as that goes because yeah i think you know, just that we can all make a difference. And the way it ends is really cool. You know, how she turns the camera on a random person that just helped her because it was the right thing to do or is just, that's what they're there for. So yeah, I'll give it a little bit lower, but yeah, on the, on the real world scale, I'm, I'm putting it, putting it at the top, I think. How about, how about you? So I have the same answer as you, a four. And for me, it boiled down to, it carried the same kind of message as a lot of these stories, like A Good Kiss, but the difference was, honestly, Corwy just kind of almost gets in the way and ends up needing to be um, saved. Whereas, you know, in A Good Kiss, you, you do have this little bit of redemption of a character who thinks he can't save the day and then he does. And I just loved that. And I lo- again, I loved her her kind of learning curve and, and discovery in this story. But, um, but I agreed with you. I don't think I'm going to really... I didn't feel like her actual kind of action in this story is going to leave as much of an impact on me as far as the movie. I do agree with you again, that it's definitely something that I'll think about in the real world. If we ever get the footage of her running out of the base and like capturing all this stuff. And then some of her like rebel videos that she edited, edited together. I think then, then I'll think about it more. But yeah, until we get the footage. It's yeah. <laughs> probably not gonna- I will say, you know, again, we see so much propaganda from the Empire side, um, or at least it's talked about a lot. I I agree with you. I think it would be so cool to see what these recruitment videos that she has been making or that she would have made or, you know, what she ended up capturing on Hoth um, in all the chaos. I think that would be so cool. I don't know where that would ever live or who would make that, but um, but I would definitely love to see what Rebellion propaganda looks like who knows i mean in the the 10 or so series and shows and movies that just got announced tonight it might end up in one of those like cassian or something i don't know we might see oh me that'd be yeah (laughs) there's a there's a lot of opportunity for all this stuff to live so what i told you was true 
from a certain point of view. The next one is Rogue Two by Gary Whitta. And this one's really cool because Gary Whitta wrote the screenplay for Rogue One. So now he's getting to write Rogue Two. He's also the screenwriter of The Book of Eli and After Earth. And he also wrote four episodes of Star Wars Rebels and The Last Jedi comic adaptation and the story Ramus in the first from a certain point of view book. So he's been around Star Wars quite a bit. And this story follows Rogue Two, Zev Seneska, as Luke and Han go missing on Hoth at the beginning of The Empire Strikes Back. So Zev is tasked with raising the morale of Rogue Squadron and decides to start a betting pool for which pilot will find them first. Princess Leia comes in at the very end, gives them a speech to really rally the troops, and they set out the next morning, and of course we know that their squadron is the one to rescue Han. So, like I said, very relevant to today because we just got the announcement of, is it Rogue Squadrons, I believe? Rogue Squadron? Is that what it's called? I can't now recall if it was plural or singular i just knew i was pumped for it <laughs> rogue, rogue squadron i had to look it up so yeah we're okay. we're get these these people that we just got this story on you know of them in the base like we're we're getting a movie about rogue squadron now so uh what were your overall reactions to this story i i liked it i didn't love it i think i wanted to love it more because i love rogue one so much but um i will say i i did love just how poignant it was for leia to get them to bet on Luke's survival rather than on his life. Um, that speech, I just, this story at, at that point really took a turn for me and it almost felt like one of those rousing moments you see in a war movie where someone is just trying to really boost morale or a sports movie where they're doing that. That's and so the energy level and the um, the stakes felt really high all of a sudden, um, you know, at that point in it. So um, it definitely grew on me. And once again, gotta love the callback to Jin and the fact that rebellions are built on hope. Yes, I'll take that anywhere we can get it. It's yeah, anytime that they that they bring Jin Urso up, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be happy. But yeah, it in this one. It, it was good because it is a character that we see on screen. And we we now know that he, Zev Rogue 2, came up with the solo ledger. Like, that was his idea. So this this running joke of the will they, won't they between Han and Leia, he came up with it. Which was, again, really funny, just how they all work together. But yeah, it was, it was good. I liked that it had the detail of Luke naming Rogue Squadron, which it was implied that was named after Jin and her crew. But the fact that Luke saw what they did and... You're right. It, the best part of that story for me too was was Leia's speech at the end, and it really felt to me like Jin's speech in Rogue One a lot. Like it had a lot of the same. You know, you could kind of picture her giving that speech, and it was kind of it was like very Star Wars. Like I don't want to say cheesy, but it was like a Star Wars cheesy moment, right? Where it's she goes in, she's like. I'm going to bet on all of you or, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. Like that's such a star Wars thing. And it's just like, it weirdly gives me goosebumps when I, when I read that. So yeah, it was, it, it was, it was really good. What was your favorite line or paragraph? Another obvious one, um, just with the conversation we've already had, but I just love the way it was written um, where Leia says, you're not betting on commander Skywalker's life. You're betting on his survival. 
every bet you place on that board is a vote of confidence that it'll be a matter of when you find him, not if. And like you said, I I guess when I said that it was like that boost of morale moment in a war movie or in a sports movie, honestly, it's like every moment we get in Star Wars that's like that. And so in that way, I I will say that, again, as the story went on and it became more almost cinematic and not because of the action in it, but just because of the emotions in it, um, I think is, again, where I started to really um, invest in it more. And that's that line just really blew me away. That was really good. It was that was way deeper than mine. But uh, mine. So mine comes as Zev is thinking about Luke. We get a lot about Luke in this one about just how he's humble and down to earth and, you know, how he's just a good guy. And Luke's my favorite character. And so anytime you just get that from a different perspective is always good. But this is where, yeah, Zev is kind of thinking back to when he talked to Luke and Luke says, I'm just a kid from a moisture planet. No one's ever heard of. So try to go easy on me. It was like, this is, and this is after he blew up the Death Star. So he's just, you know, he's considered this big hero. There's rumors going around that he has the force. The propagandist who we just met in the last story wants to interview him because he's like the big shot. But at the end of the day, he's still that kid from Tatooine, you know, where he says, go easy on me. And just getting that extra, extra look at Luke was, was very exciting for me that we're, that we're getting more Luke Skywalker right now. So for this one, scale of one to 10, how will you view Empire differently? I think I'll, I think I'll say a five and kind of for the reasons that you're describing here, like this story does kind of the opposite of what the propaganda story does, which, um, which is it kind of, and, and honestly, a lot of the other stories about how everyone can be a hero, it, it kind of equals the play levels the playing field i should say um but kind of in the opposite way it kind of there's a reverence for luke and there's the behind the scenes concern for his safety that yeah of course you get that in the film but um this story definitely enhanced that for me and also as you said um just made me realize that he as far as his camaraderie with these this particular squadron like he he doesn't necessarily see himself as the hero that all these other stories kind of put him on that pedestal and and this story the concern for his safety it's not stemming from that and the idea that he is a hero and that all of these men really all of these fellow rebels are heroes it it, i don't know it takes that in a different direction than the other stories we've been talking about i guess so i kind of went right in the middle with my with my thinking on this how about you uh so i i gave this one a seven and i think i gave it a little bit higher than right in the middle just because rogue two for whatever reason he's always really stuck out to me because especially like in recent years because he looks a lot like john favreau in the movie like he has that big like kind of look to himself where i've always i don't know why that character you know and, and the more i think about it the more i'm like everything on Hoth. I'm like, just these random people. And I don't know if it's because I've seen Empire so many times or, or what, but I just, you know, you, you just kind of get curious about those characters and the, the solo ledger and that he came up with that. I think, I don't think, you know, it's, it's getting hammered into us pretty good in all of these <laughs> stories about the solo ledger. So I think yeah. that, you know, the fact that he came up with that, but yeah, since he was the one that, that found them, the Jenner so tie in, I, I think I will think about it a little, a little bit more than, 
than average probably. So yeah, I'll give it, I'll give that one an eight. A certain point of view. So our next story um, and our final story for this grouping um, is Kendall by Charles Yu. This is Charles's first time writing in the Star Wars universe. He won a National Book Award for his latest novel, Interior Chinatown, and was nominated for two Writers Guild of America awards for his work on the HBO series Westworld. He has also written for shows on FX, AMC, and Adult Swim. Kendall takes us now back to um, the Empire side of things with Kendall Ozzel being force choked by Darth Vader. And we sort of get this account of his final thoughts, memories, and sensations as he loses his various physical senses one by one. And at the same time, he's remembering and reflecting on his career but also all that he gave up or that the empire had taken away from him that came before his career. And it all basically blurs together into a jumble of regret and resentment and longing for his innocent youth. What were your reactions overall to this story? This one is probably one of my favorites in the entire book. I thought the premise of it was just really funny that we get a whole story, you know, and it is shorter than a lot of the other stories, but we get this whole story within the moment that he's getting choked out by Darth Vader. And it really felt to me like Robot Chicken, where at the very beginning, the Emperor, you know, gets thrown down. And like, as he's falling down, it stops. And it's like the scratch record. And it's like a freeze frame. Yeah. It's like, you're probably wondering how I got here. Like, it, it gave me that vibe from the beginning. And it was it was really funny to start. But then it got, it really blended with the seriousness really well too and the longer the story went on the more serious and like poetic and sad that this story got and it also we've talked about a lot but it it made me think of the last jedi a lot because we had a dreadnought mention you know that he was the commander of a dreadnought and then we also had him you know this is where he gets choked out through a hollow or a, a projector and so and he makes a line about, you know, how it's it's extra sad that he's getting choked out over Hollow Conference. And it just made me think of Hux in The Last Jedi, how sad that was for him, because not only was it by Hollow Conference with Snoke, but it was in front of all the entire bridge on that ship. So it just made that even more sad, you know, for, for Hux. And then we also got a line about people mocking Ozel and that they made the joke that Vader wanted someone weak and non-threatening. And this was another, you know, way it made me think of The Last Jedi with Snoke and his line of, you wonder why I keep a rabid cure in a place of power. A cure's weakness properly manipulated could be a sharp tool. It made me really think it, uh, about that. So a lot of a lot of Last Jedi feels, but yeah, I thought the I thought the 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 way it progressed throughout where it started out like really funny and silly to at the end where it was like really serious and sad was was really well done what what about you yeah i agree um this story really spoke to my dark sense of humor at first um some of the writing was really witty in a very kind of dark way i doesn't it open i think the opening line is like he had some regrets like it just it starts off instantly with this really distinct tone very tongue-in-cheek i think compared to the other stories we've been talking about and obviously the character who it's focused on is is not on the rebellion side so it, it makes sense to have kind of a shift there but um even within the story the tonal shifts as you said are really it, it's crazy to me how not jarring they are um just the way that it 
sort of smoothly goes from again kind of darkly comic very witty um very funny to just really powerful really sad um very you know moving and yeah i just thought it was just very very creative and i honestly by the end felt like i understood this man from just these little non-linear flashes that you get you know that he's experiencing um so very very interesting story for sure what was your favorite line or paragraph mine happens towards the beginning where it's still kind of comedic so it's he's getting choked out right and he's starting to think of he calls piet i think he calls piet a weasel you know he's like ah they're probably laughing at me you know like that kind of thing and then he says being in vader's grip was in some ways preferable to a regular day on the bridge the constant tension the helmet breathing the awkward silence what does he want me to say what did i do wrong this time (laughs) this this line just it spoke to me it was really funny because it would be like that around Vader. You know, if he's just like out staring into hyperspace and the guy's just standing beside him, like what's going through his mind? You know, like what, what is this, what is this guy's deal? And I had a boss a lot like this in college when I worked in a warehouse and he'd come over and talk to me and we'd talk and he'd like, tell me something to do. And then he'd just stand there and just like, look at the the boxes up on the shelves. And I just stand there like, okay, you know, I, I can't really walk away. He's my boss. Like I don't have anything else to say to him, but he just kind of stay there. So I just, I thought it was just really funny and really relatable. And I just, I love that we get that point of view about Vader being awkward to be around because that has to be super awkward. So how about you? I, my line is definitely (laughs) when it shifts into um, a little bit more sad. Uh, So just piggybacking off of your favorite line for a second. I, yeah, that hearing you describe it that way too is is making me feel like um I don't know, I'm I'm imagining what it would be like if the office took place like in the Star Wars universe <laughs> or something like office space or I don't know, it makes it like this it, ha- it just has this momentary like like office workplace comedy feel to it um in that moment. And then yeah, it, as we said it shifts gears quite a bit. My favorite line was um Watching Darth Vader on a screen, reaching across space and time to touch him, his last contact with another human. You mentioned the Hux thing, which I thought was was really great. For me, the lines like this and a lot of moments in the story, as funny as it was to to, you know, hear him kind of sarcastically reflecting on, oh, I'm being I'm being force choked through, you know, not not physically in the same space as Darth Vader. That's that's pretty embarrassing. I actually was reading this just thinking about this weird Zoom world that we're in. I don't know. I I don't really have anything like brand new to say about that. It's been pretty much said over and over again. This new normal is very strange, but in kind of a sad, serious way and also in kind of a darkly comic way, I was just thinking like, wow, it's almost like <laughs> COVID exists in space and like this is the safest way to force choke someone. Like, I, I don't know. I had like this dark sense of humor of my own about about that kind of um, what if I had read this story in any other kind of time or context, um, but these are the times we're living in. So I couldn't help but kind of think about that as well. I don't know. It kind of informs everything I'm watching and reading these days. <laughs> yeah. That, that last bit of human contact, that's it's yeah. like, who knows when we'll have human contact again. So yeah, that's a, 
That's a that's a good yeah. call. Very sad. And it it is just so sad, like that that his last contact with another human isn't even real contact. It's just being force choked by, you know, by your evil awkward boss. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there's it's very yeah. This story was just super loaded. So. I don't know. So scale of one to 10, how will this one make you view Empire Strikes Back differently? I gave this one an eight because it happens at a very specific moment. And I think, especially the next time I watch Empire and maybe every time, but I'm going to probably want to pause it at that moment (laughs) and think about Ozzel and think about his story or even pause the movie and go read the story and then get back into it. Cause it is, it's just, I don't know. I, you feel bad for him, right? Because after he gives his, his backstory, it's like when he was a kid and growing up and like, he just, he made the wrong decision, you know? And then once he got in it, he didn't realize what he was in it for and anything like that. It just, things got out of control and you definitely, you definitely feel bad. But yeah, I, I would have never guessed that we'd get a uh, Admiral Ozzel redemption little flashback there to, to make you feel a little bit bad for him there. But yeah. Uh, what, what about you? This was, yeah, this was my highest, my highest on the scale. I gave it a 10. Honestly, you just, you get this whole interior life um, thoughts, memories, uh, emotions, physical sensations, all within the span of a very short um, story and in the movie, a very short scene. This was actually the only sort of thing that I went and watched the scene. I just, I didn't watch all of Empire Strikes Back before um, before this, but I did decide to go to YouTube and just watch this scene. <laughs> yeah. And it's such a short, it's like a minute and 10 <laughs> seconds or something like that. But but wow, I again really feel like I know this person. I feel so I feel their regret. Like this story makes you feel the things he's feeling. It doesn't just tell you like, oh, and then, you know, this was his relationship that he like you know, lost or left behind and this was his child. Like it's just there's just something about it where I f- I guess because he's also describing those physical sensations while he's being force choked, something about that made all the memories feel really tangible and visceral and um, so I watched this scene over and I was like, oh my gosh, like it's a one minute scene that I never would have given much thought to. And now I feel like I know this person and like, yeah. and just, yeah. And I just felt like hurt for him and thought if, oh, if you had just changed this or did this differently or yeah. whatever. So I, I can attest that just rewatching that one scene, you know, I instantly was like, oh, I got to give this a 10. Like, I can't look at this one minute scene the same way ever again this 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 poor guy who just you know could have had a very different life and a very different death but yeah it is what it is definitely feel feel so bad for him and yeah yeah, that's that's this this whole thing there's between the tauntaun and the wampa and just everybody that you just it's like i didn't i didn't think i was gonna get this and you know it's supposed to be like fun short stories here and there but then you like really get thinking of it and then you like get to know these characters that like you said one minute of screen time that you just you just feel awful for so i guess that's why yeah. why they they make these books and they and they no, uh for they, sure they put them out my favorite story <laughs> so, for, yeah. probably my favorite story from the a new hope one is the trash compactor monster yeah. um such a it's so yeah these books really um really again deepen who these characters are and yeah i'm really glad that we can be having conversations about these little moments and little characters that we would have never 
known anything else about besides what we see on screen. 100%. And I'm sure if you're listening and you made it this far that you probably have already read the book, but if you don't have this book, like go get it or give it to someone, like give it as a gift. It's, it's so fun just to have it by your bed before, you know, and you can just read one story a night. You don't have to get too invested in anything and kind of work through it. It's, it's just, these books are so much fun. I I don't know. I just, um, I, you know, already can't wait for the return of the Jedi one and starting to think of characters who I'd like to see from there, whether it's the Sarlacc or, you know, what it is, but I'm just, I'm, I'm excited for that in what, three years. So it'll be good. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for joining me. I really had a blast. I'm so glad that you could join the show and discuss these stories. And can you tell the people where to find you and what you have coming up? Yeah, well, thank you again for having me. This was so, so fun for me. Um, you can find me mainly on Instagram. I don't use Twitter. Um, my Instagram handle is just Sarah Glassy, G-L-A-S-S-Y. Um, I love, love, love connecting with other Star Wars fans on there and just chatting. Um, as I said before, Star Wars was kind of this slow journey for me, kind of a solitary thing at first. And now I love just getting to meet other Star Wars fans and connect with people. Um, and then as far as what I have going on, um, on my Instagram, you can find out more about the podcast that I co-host for the film festival I work for, which is uh, the Atlanta Jewish Film Festival. We have a, a, white, a weekly right now podcast called In Conversation. So you could check that out via the link that's in my Instagram bio. Perfect. Yes, definitely check that out. And we'll put all that in the show notes as well for everybody to find you, everyone to listen to your podcast. And yeah, I'm just really glad we connected and and got to talk about this. And I will be back in a couple weeks with part two of this series with the next eight stories. So keep an eye out for that. You can follow the show on Twitter at Force Time Pod. You can follow us on Instagram at Force Time Pod. And you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And until next time, may the Force be with you. 